Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now, here's your host, Tom Singer. Hey, hey, you have found another episode of Making Waves at Sea Level. Thank you so much for picking this podcast. Let's face it, there's a crazy variety of podcasts out there, but you found your way here. And whether this is your first first time here or you've been here for the 675 episodes that have come along over the past nearly seven years, I thank you for choosing this podcast. And if you like it, go tell some friends. Hey, before we get started, the first thing I have to do is thank one of the sponsors of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Stanton Chase International, one of the leading global executive search firms serving as trusted advisors to help companies build their senior leadership teams. And for those of you who are regular listeners, you know that I work for Stanton Chase International. So if your company is looking to make those hires that are going to fit in and make a difference, make sure that you're talking to Stanton Chase. And you can find me at the Stanton Chase website, which is stantonchase.com. All right, now today's episode is also one of those episodes that I do where it is co-produced with the Austin Technology Council. And I really love these because ATC is the largest tech industry organization in Central Texas, and they empower their members by bringing them insights, resources, and connections so that they can succeed and thrive. And I love the partnership that Making Waves at Sea Level has developed with the Austin Technology Council. So be sure to check them out. All right, so I hope you're ready because today we're going to talk about what do you do in your company when the private equity firms come a-knocking because I'm sure that there are ways to do it right and ways to be prepared, and I'm sure that there's mistakes that people have made along the way. So today we're going to talk to Chris Schelling. Now, he is the Director of Alternative Investment at Venturi Private Wealth, and basically what he does is he helps manage portfolios that are outside of the traditional stocks and bonds. Hey, Chris, welcome to Making Waves at Sea Level. Tom, thanks for having me. I'm excited to to chat with you today. No, I'm really, really glad to have you here. So tell me, to get us started, tell us a little bit about your company. Sure. Venturi Private Wealth is a $2 billion wealth management firm headquartered here in Austin, Texas. We've been around for about six years. Uh, the partners launched the firm with $450 million assets under management. And so we've scaled pretty rapidly by being very client-centric. Today, we got about um, 30 employees. We have another Austin in our office in Oklahoma City. Uh, and I'm the director of alternatives. I, I basically help our clients manage portfolios that sit outside of the traditional stock and bonds, as you said. We work with clients that are high net worth to kind of ultra high net worth, and we provide a full suite of services to them. So on this podcast, we talk about companies and growth and and ways to shake things up and make waves. And let's face it, if you're a growing company, 
private equity is often a, a great thing that can come along. But as I said in the introduction, there's probably ways that you can prepare for this and there's probably mistakes that are made along the way. So let's just sort of talk, give me your background uh, of experience sure. when it comes to private equity investments. Sure. Um, I've been in investing for about 20 years and a lot of that has been in alternative investments broadly, but the last seven or eight I've been as an institutional allocator where I've committed about $3 billion to private equity uh, and, and allocated across about uh, 100 different funds. So during that time, um, I've met with literally thousands of general partners and sat down with them to kind of understand how do you go about right? Sourcing companies and how do you help your portfolio company executives create value? So in that role, uh, there's been a lot of insights that I've got that you know, are perfect for those executives sitting down with that GP to try and understand, is this a fit for my business? So let's start with what people can be doing to prepare. I mean, obviously, if you have a company that's successful, it's growing, uh, you know, you're, you're showing up on all the right lists and everything like that. We know that the private equity firms are probably going to call. And if you've never thought about it, you're probably caught off guard. So long before your phone rings, what can an entrepreneur be doing to be ready for those phone calls from private equity? Totally. No, I think that's the first thing that you have to think through. It's, it's, a, it's a big deal taking outside capital. Do you really want to do that or not? Even if it's a minority stake, um, a majority stake, obviously they're going to be the boss. But a lot of entrepreneurial uh, executives don't really appreciate what it's like when you have a private equity sponsor in your cap stack because you now have, you now have KPIs, right? You have accounting metrics that you have to be accountable to. You have meetings and calls and all sorts of things you're going to be on a clock. And so if you're not, if you're not willing to make the transition from a potential lifestyle business to something where you actually have external bosses, private equity probably is not the right fit for you. However, you can find good partners that will help you scale and grow your business and kind of get to uh, an exit or something more rapidly than you would otherwise be able to do on your own. So that's kind of the trade-off. Now, in order to decide whether or not that makes sense, you have to have all your ducks in a row, right? You have to know your financials pretty cold and you have to have kind of a deal team, sort of like a soft deal team put together where you have internal uh, members of your team that, you know, on the finance side, on the legal side, or maybe external advisors that can help you think through those sort of strategic objectives. So let's go back to this this point that a lot of people start their companies and they like the idea of being the boss. They they don't give a lot of thought to the fact that investors could actually become people they have to to report to. They start with some friends and family money and mom probably doesn't ask that many questions. Uh, you know, maybe their banker gives them a loan and, and, you know, they have some things they have to do, but it's not the same. So how does an entrepreneur even know if his psyche is set up to be able to take outside money that's going to have that type of influence on the company? Well, I think for one, if you've had a problem with authority during your lifetime, you've skipped, uh, you've jumped from job to job and just don't like being told what to do, then it might not be the greatest fit. If, however, you realize, you know, I'm a idea guy, I'm a creator, I need help in kind of scaling and building the business and putting the blocking and tackling stuff together around that where I don't love to do that, right? I like to think, I like to strategize, I like to be the creative kind of person. I want more help on that side. Then it probably makes a lot of sense. All right. So let's say that they've thought it through and, you know, they're kind of ready. They understand what's going on. Now what happens when the phone rings? What's the what's yeah. the next step? The, the, the private equity guys start calling. What, what should a company do? Well, I think the first thing is you, you have to keep options for yourself. Right? So you're the CEO. You wear all the hats. Right. You pick up the phone because it's a potential big 
prospect or a client calling, and instead it's John Doe, VP from ABC Capital Partners, right? They've been doing some work in your sector and they're impressed with the business that you've built. That's kind of the typical kind of entree. So they ask then, you know, are you open to this idea of taking some external capitalists? And, oh, FYI, we got the blueprint for how to do it. Well, the first thing you need to do is don't, don't react like in the moment. You, you take that call, you kind of essentially stall for time and you keep your options open. So as an allocator, it's kind of what I want to do, right? I want to meet as many funds as I can look at. I want them all to be maybes for as long as they can until they have to be a yes or a no. So in the, this situation, do the same thing. Say, you know, not a great time right now. Um, I'm definitely interested. Let's reconnect at a convenient point for yourself. And so you, you, you kind of take the call, set it aside, get a little info on their firm, their number, et cetera. And then you schedule it when, you know, follow up when it makes sense for you. It takes the pressure off of you to figure out that exact second, who they are, what do they do? And do you want to engage? You can then think about it and decide, right? All about keeping those options open. So that, that's kind of the first step. Um, and I think from there, right, then you have to figure out, does it make sense to engage? So are there people that they can turn to who've been down this road before? Is this where like having an advisor like you, is that somebody they can turn to for some advice and some guidance as far as, you know, am I on the right path? What does this mean? Where, where do people even turn if it's the first call they've sure. gotten? I mean, there are people in, you know, if there are people in your network with private equity experience, they're obviously the best point of contact. So reach out to people that have been big investors, allocators, limited partners, GPs, and ask them, first of all, what's the, what's the kind of playbook look like? And, and absent that, I mean, generally Google is a pretty good resource. I mean, it sounds stupid, but just go ahead and Google their name, right? And you can usually get a lot of information from their website. They can't market broadly as a private equity firm, but they still will tell you what they do, what sandbox do they play in? So find out what, you know, industry or sector they focus on. If there's any, what's their typical kind of deal size look like? You want to know, you know, EBITDA, positive, negative revenue, check size. Does it all make sense? Deal type. You know, I think that's an important thing to understand. How do they structure their deals? Are they typically minority investors? Are they majority investors where there's a big founder role? Or are they like 100% majority? There's a big difference between those two. And then like last but not least, certainly not least, is what is their value creation strategy? This is what PE sells, right? What levers they can help you pull to help scale that business faster than you would without taking their capital. I mean, money is fungible, right? So, so don't make the decision purely based upon the financials. Figure out if they can actually be a strategic partner to you. So- I, I do a lot of advising to different people, nothing on, on this side of the world. But one of the things I always tell people is always go out and talk to two or three people in anything. If you're looking for a new corporate attorney, you know, don't just pick one, pick three and go interview them. Uh, same Absolutely. thing, same thing is true, you know, with a banker, et cetera, down the line. And, and I always usually, if somebody asks me for a referral, I'll usually give them two or three so that they have sort of a broad look so they can find that right fit for them. So if they get one call, if the, if the PE firms aren't knocking down their door, if they get one call and they start thinking about, boy, this, this could be a good thing for the company. Can they then go out and shop it to some other firms and how do they find those? Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what they have to do, right? You have to, to go and shop and look around for additional partners. Um, 
you don't know if they're a perfect fit, right? So you got to figure out what the value creation strategy is from this particular firm. Do they help people, you know, reduce operational costs or help them in capital management, building, you know, internal sales team, et cetera. Whatever your actual needs are, you need to think about rather than being reactive, right? You need to be proactive. What are your strategic roadmap look like? What are you trying to do and build? Where do you need help on your team? I think on the human capital management team, that that is or aside, that's generally one where private equity does help value. These firms have big networks, operators, investors, and they can, you know, use that size and scope to f- identify people to fill out your your C suite or your management team. Um so so you gotta actually do that and then have that lead the process rather than the tail wave the dog. So um it's interesting. On on value creation broadly, I mean PE, they tend to overstate what they do, right? They're salesmen. Um so make sure they actually can do what they promise that you're doing. I have a, a good friend here in town who's the head of strategy at an energy tech firm. This firm was acquired by a big private equity fund, right? a, a good fund, excellent fund, great track record. And they have an aggressive roll-up strategy. That's part of what they do. We help you source, identify, acquire, and integrate acquisitions. But I, I called her and I said, you know, so what does XYZ do? Um, how much are they helping you? And she's like, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> I'm doing it all. I'm doing all the calls. I'm sourcing all. I'm flying all over the world. She was integrating six deals in two years. And so you have to follow up and, sh- and ensure that they can do what they say they can do by doing references. But, you know, then I would say you put together a formal deal team, right? And you potentially seek financial advice, hire a banker or something to go identify 10, 15, 20 other sponsors in the same space because, there's hundreds of people that you could be looking at. All right. So once they have made the decision to do it, they've, they've shopped it around. They've, they've gotten a great understanding of what the right firm is going to bring to help them, you know, attain the growth that they're after and that they're going to be a great partner. Then what, what's the, what's the final step? Once that, once they sign on the dotted line, what's the next step? Well, then, then it's where the rubber really hits the road, right? I think actually before you make that final decision, it's super, super critical to do, really robust due diligence. Okay. And, and not just take their word for it. Again, you have got to, you have got to call around, pick up the phone and call even, even if you can't get them from the GP sponsor directly. So they, they will tell you companies that they've worked for here are executives, but if you can find people in your network that have worked with them, right, the CEO of startup.com and, and you get on the phone and you say, you know, Bob, what did Sally and Joe do for you? And they will tell you exactly. They didn't do this. They did that. You, you got to make sure you're, you're getting the right partner because, you know, th- this is not dating at this point. It is marriage. And you are, you're going to be working together for the next five to seven years. So I think once you sign on the dot, you, you need to have the 100 day kind of strategic plan and value creation roadmap agreed to super critical. So often I see, you know, things laid out kind of in general terms, they close on the deal. And then after that, there's a ton of disagreement about what do we prioritize? Where do we focus? Who does what? You should honestly sit down and create a roles and responsibility matrix where you've, you've got the GP and they might have people sitting on your board, right? You've got maybe a value creation team at the GP, and then you've got your executives and that hundred day plan, like, are we going to hire an internal sales team? Are we going to do what? Who's going to do what? Literally put the checks in the matrix and say, GP is going to do this. We're going to do this. And once you get that hundred day plan laid out, right, then it becomes easier post-closing because you're all in agreement. Um, and as one GP says, then 
right? You plan the work, then you work the plan, right? There's no dispute. There's no disagreement. You just go execute. So you've seen a lot of these deals. What, what are some things where things have gone south? You don't have to name names, but what are, what are some things that have happened along the way where people go, uh-oh, not what I expected? I would say probably just aside from the disagreement about who's going to do what or what's the plan, you know, there's, there's probably two things that happen post-close more frequently where things get derailed. Uh, the biggest one, this is just something that you hear. Every GP will have a horror story about an ERP integration gone awry. So it didn't work easily. It took a lot longer. Inventory was screwed up. So there's probably a career if there's consultants out there helping GP sponsors do in ERP integration better. But the other one is management team uh, misfires. And so, this is where I would say the human capital management, I, I would try to find a sponsor that has the depth in the areas that you really are looking to add to and make sure that you're meeting those people to kind of ahead of time, right? Because if you, if you hire the wrong CFO, if you hire the wrong CMO, it's a, it's a year or, or two years kind of lost. That, that's the other one we hear, you know, GPs will put somebody in place, the sponsor or the, the exec team said we liked them, but, you know, it takes a year to kind of figure out if it doesn't work, then you got to fire them and replace them and get started again. So those are the two, the two big areas. So let's end on an up note. What are some samples or some examples that you've seen where bringing in a PE firm has changed the game for the better? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the good, the good news is about, about KPIs and things like that is that they're actually important. (laughs) I've seen firms where they had no, um, no accounting system whatsoever. And they didn't know what things cost. So firm comes in immediately puts a CFO in place, right? They're able to focus on, you know, a profitable business lines, tilt and pivot towards them, grow and scale and top line goes through the roof and bottom line goes through the roof. And so that's a case where, you know, you're giving up a percentage of that final because you're now taking somebody for 20 or 30 or 40% equity, but that final number that six, seven years down the road would have been is multiples higher than would have been without that. And so that's really the key, right? It's, it's like, if you find that right partner, they're going to help you scale that business faster than you could have. I mean, there's so, there's so many firms out there now that are specialized sector experts down market. And so you might not be a huge business and you know, you don't think you're going to get the same level of resources that the huge PE funds do, smaller funds have those same skill sets now in house. And so find somebody in your sector who's done it before. And, and honestly, like if you can find the GP who's got a mix of operating experience and investment experience, they've sat in your seats before they know how to do it. So yes, it it could be a great fit. It could be the best decision you've ever made. All right. Well, Chris, I have a few more questions for you, but first I have to thank the other sponsor of this episode. So this episode, like all of them, is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. Podfly sets you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure you're going to sound amazing. They do all the heavy lifting and that pesky technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing people who are making waves in business like Chris Schelling. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know, I know that some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. 
And just a little side note, I don't know how many of you know this, but I've been doing Making Waves at Sea Level for almost seven years. We're closing in on 700 episodes. And over the last three years, I've been hired by two associations and one company to be the host of their podcast because their company wanted great interviews with good energy, but they didn't have anyone on their team or in the association. They didn't have a volunteer they wanted to give that role to. So if you want to start a podcast and doing the interviewing isn't your forte, you can find a great podcast host to come in and be that host for you. And I'd be willing to talk to a couple of more companies. All right, back to Chris. So Chris, this episode is co-produced with the Austin Technology Council. And I have lived in Austin for 31 years, and I've seen a whole lot of changes in the Austin business community. But we are still now, as we were 30 years ago, an entrepreneurial town, more so than ever in some aspects. So what are you seeing in the Austin climate when it comes to businesses that are starting, growing, and then finding ways to expand through things like private equity? I mean, it's obviously one of the hottest markets in the country for that right now. Um, And so we are seeing just a lot of people, it's nothing that nobody else is aware of. A lot of people moving here. Uh, the tech <laughs> sector is on fire. If I would say there's one thing maybe missing, I'll focus on maybe where we could do better. It's it's kind of later stage growth equity. We've got a lot of earlier stage investing. We've got a little bit of buyout. We're kind of missing that growth stage investing in town, but that's an air, a runway for growth. I mean, the, um, you know, the, 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 uh, there's no shortage of big tech uh, companies moving here every day. And, and frankly, in financial services, there's a ton of runway for growth as well. We've got some of the biggest allocators in the country in Austin. People don't realize that. Right? There's almost half a trillion dollars worth of large scale allocator capitals from pensions and endowments and foundations here in town. Um, and the, the service community uh, around that from the financial services sector is growing. So there are, you know, funds, asset management firms, GPs, all moving here. Uh, and it's exciting to be part of it. So why do you think Austin is, is so unique right now? And why do you think it's, it's really had a consistent growth for three decades? I mean, part of it is, you know, the tax regime is friendly. The weather is great. I'm originally from Chicago. My family and I have moved farther and farther south, and I think we found the spot. (laughs) I mean, it's much nicer to have a couple of months a year that are pretty hot rather than six months a year that are freezing and cold. So clearly that's part of the attraction. Young, educated community, I mean – it's a great place to be. And as I say, it's, it's perfect right now for our clients and our clientele um, that are looking to, to, to bring in that equity sponsor and help them grow their business here. So I was interviewed this week for a podcast called Austin Next, and it's really focused on where Austin has come and where Austin's going from the, from the business sector. Mm-hmm. And one of the things they interviewed me about was talking about sort of this culture of connection. They called it sort of the, the, the people equation and how Austin has always had sort of this, this networking quotient to it where, you know, people can connect the dots and, and you can have senior level people and, and new entrepreneurs who will meet, whereas in some places it's hard to reach. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. th- those people in Austin, pretty much everyone's open to to a conversation. If you come through with a warm, a warm introduction, we called it sort of the mortar that holds all the bricks together. What do you think about Austin's sort of people networking culture? Uh, that's a great point. I mean, that's part of also what attracted me here. There's a there's a community around those investors here that I haven't found elsewhere. Right. It, it feels smaller than it is, despite being so large. And so you anybody will take your call here in town. And and also because of that scale, managers come through town. We, we we've taken the teams that I've worked for in the past seven, eight years. We've taken literally hundreds of meetings with managers. You can't get that kind of out in the middle of nowhere. I lived in Lexington, Kentucky 
Kentucky for a couple of years, great town. And, you know, there's parts of it that we absolutely miss, but you weren't getting that type of manager flow through town. People come to Austin for that. And so that's valuable, but you, you know, you made a great point about communications and networks. And we, we talk, chatted about kind of the, the barroom pitch for what your job is. I actually view what I do is I connect people to people, ideas to ideas, and people to ideas. And Austin's a great place for that. And our, and our co-producer for this episode, the Austin Technology Council, has really had a major impact on the success of Austin for, for many decades. So why do you and your firm support the Austin Technology Council? Because it's... It's part and parcel of what our business is. I mean, this is what we do. We are a growth firm. We're one of the top growing wealth management firms in the business. We couldn't do that without the community here. Technology is a huge part of uh, that community here in Austin. It's just, you know, it's the biggest venture community outside of the coast in the country. And again, that's not slowing down. All right. So who's the ideal customer for your company and, and, and why? Let's do it. Let's give you a little couple seconds for that commercial. So the ideal customer is that first generation wealth creator. They, they may be, call it in a later portion of their career, they built a business for 20, 30, 40 years. They are now in a position where private equity is coming in to buy part of their business and they're going to have that first lifetime changing liquidity event. So we talked about the, the benefits of private equity. That's another one, right? <laughs> coming in after 40 years of hard work and cutting you a check for 20, 30, 40, $50 million. Uh, the flip side is then what do you do with that, right? That is very different um, wealth management planning. You need estate planning, you need tax advice, you need all those things and structures in place in, in order to help manage that. And that's where our firm provides, I think, an added level of service that that a lot of our competitors don't. Obviously, we manage the capital for you as well, but it's that integrated plan that that we offer. Awesome. And if people want to get a hold of you, how do they find you? Our, our website uh, is uh, VenturiWealth.com. Um, and I'm listed on there, VenturiWealthManagement.com. I'm listed on there. You can reach out to us. And we're also, you know, you can just Google us and come stop in our office on Loop 360 if you want. Awesome. Well, Chris, thank you for being a guest here on Making Waves at Sea Level. Any any last comments? No, thank you for having me. Uh, look forward to uh, chatting again sometime. Awesome. I look forward to seeing you soon. And thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. You know, I say it every single episode. If it wasn't for the audience, why would we be doing this show for seven years? The show began as cool things entrepreneurs do when I joined Stanton Chase last year and took a huge focus on helping recruit those key C-level people. We changed the names to Making Waves at C-Level so that it would be in uh, sort of alignment with the rest of my career. Uh, and it's been a lot of fun. Uh, we've had some great guests. And I appreciate the Austin Technology Council. We've fallen out of rotation. We were doing one show a month. We're trying to get back to getting that on target because uh, I live in Austin and it's an amazing, amazing community. So if you like the podcast, do me a favor, go tell your friends. Yes, I want you to leave one of those reviews that everybody wants on Apple Podcast or Spotify that says best podcast ever. However, more important, tell a friend. When I talk to people about how did you find this show? They tell me, my boss, my neighbor, my mom told me I would enjoy this podcast. So make sure that you're, you're telling a friend. You can find more information about me at TomSinger.com. That's T-H-O-M-S-I-N-G-E-R.com. And we're going to be back in a couple of days with someone else who's making waves in business. But in the meantime, go out there, flex your business muscles. Make sure that your career ladder is against the correct wall because there's nothing worse than climbing the career ladder to find out you're in the wrong place. And then finally, while you're out doing all that, have some fun along the way. 
Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast. Without your listening to these in-depth conversations, there would be no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.